journeying the last couple weeks in uh, our series on uh, understanding spiritual authority. And uh, last week, Brother Foster did a wonderful job talking about spiritual authority as it relates to women in the home and women in the church. And uh, praise God, I just, you know, as a man growing up in church, I know that there's a, a special, you know, special burden that are on the ladies and the women. And I know that they're a little bit more scrutinized because of more of the outward appearance. And so I've always appreciated and always just admired women uh, for their stance for holiness. And, uh, and uh, yeah, amen. Uh, so thank you, ladies, for your stance for God and for holiness. And you are much needed in our churches. Praise God. Praise God. And Brother Foster, if you did not get a chance to listen to that message, I would definitely highly encourage you to go back and to listen to that again. Praise God. And so this week we are going to uh, be discussing uh, this for men. And we're going to be looking at kind of the man's role or responsibility um, as it relates to spiritual authority in the home and in the church. Praise God. And so uh, I want to start off by a quick story here, which I guess none of my stories are ever quick, but you're like, yeah, we know. Uh, so uh, fr uh, this past week at work, um, one of the people that I work with during one of our team meetings um, made public uh, that they were non-binary. And I sort of already knew this um, because of the years I've spent working uh, with this individual. And so just through conversation and uh, just through sharing life together at work, um, you know, one of the, you know, we're there quite a bit these days. Uh, and so you get to know the people that you work with pretty well. Um, and, and you could tell that, you know, they were pretty nervous kind of bringing this forward to the team in kind of a, in a very public setting. Um, and so, but one of the things uh, that they said was, I don't believe men are better than women or women are better than men. To which I was like... <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm like, hey, like, that could preach. Uh, but the problem is, is that the predominant thought in the world is to run from these distinctions of male and female and start identifying as non-binary, gender fluid, transgender, or many of the other different popular terms uh, that are used to identify our gender today. And while I'm not really coming to talk a whole lot about that, um, It's a real thing. And God has called us to be peacemakers. And so we can beat the Christian drum as loud as we want, uh, but that's just going to turn people away. God's called us to be peacemakers in these situations and to shine through love. The Bible says that the world would know that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. Not just the way that we love each other in church, because that's easy, but it's how we love each other in the world. When it's not comfortable, when it's not the way we've always done things, when it's not how we believe or, or the, our worldview, how we respond is going to say a lot about our Christian walk and about our love for people. And that's who Jesus came to die for. He came to die for people, not people's ideas, not our ideas, not our houses, not our cars, not our clothes. He came to die for people. Praise God. And that's what we're called to go out and, and fish for people. Praise God. And this and Jesus said this in Mark 6, or 10, 6. He says, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And in the beginning, it was clear, male and female. And God's plan was perfect, and then sin entered into the world. 
like my coworker told, she was like, or biologically, she's a female, but she identifies as non-binary. She goes, I've got lots of books that could take you back into past generations, past cultures, and prove that this is not an uncommon thing. And to which was like, and I was thinking, yes, I also have a book that says the same thing, praise God. So, so she's right, or they are right, excuse me. This is hard. This is a hard, it's a hard tension, see? Because you want to, you see someone, but you also want to be respectful. And so that's why they were bringing it up in our work, because, it, you know, it impacts her at work. And so, or it impacts they at work. But the truth is, is that in conclusion here, God has really called men to walk with him and to please him despite the surrounding circumstances. Despite what's been going on around culture, despite what happens at work, despite what is going on around us in our neighborhoods, God has called men to be men and to walk with him and to please him no matter what. Praise God. It's one of the most prevailing things that you can hear pastors say is that strong families equal strong churches. How many ever heard pastors say that? Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you. And most of the leading research points to the fact that if husbands walk with God, that their families typically follow. Okay, now that's not, that's kind of a blanket statement, but a lot of research out there points to the fact that if men walk with God and they do it right, that their families will typically follow. Praise God. And for the best way for husbands to do this is through submission. Paul to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 21, it says, and further, and, and further here is because this is verse 21, and Paul has just been kind of giving it to the Ephesians and showing them how to walk and talk, and then he gets down to verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In some translations, you know, say out of fear for Christ. And so when we think about all of the things that Christ has done for us, and we keep that in mind, and we keep that his death, his burial, his resurrection, where he found us, that he came and found us in our miry clay, that he came and sent somebody from somewhere maybe on the other side of the world to where you were, if we keep that in mind, if we keep Christ's love in mind, his patience in his mind, that, that it's his gentleness that has made us great, and it's his gentleness and his kindness and his patience and his working with us, that is helping us to be who we are, praise God, and we keep that in mind. And just in the, in the very fact that he's God, regardless of all the other stuff, but that he's God and that he's the creator and he's the one that created us and designed us and made us, that we're going to do this with him in mind, that we're going to submit to each other with him in mind, praise God. And this Greek word, actually, this reverence or this fear for Christ is actually the same Greek word that gives us the word phobia, is anybody ever, anybody scared of spiders in here? Yeah, my sisters are scared of spiders. So, yeah, and, and my mom, too. Like, if you don't know my mom, she's pretty easy to, to, to scare. So we would always do things to scare her. She's a fear of the dark. You know, you got people got fear of the dark and fear of spiders, you know, fear of being scared, you know, fear of, you know, being claustrophobic. And so, and that fear, though, that it drives us quickly is that when that spider all of a sudden comes down and it's sitting right there, it's not a, you know, you're not just, hey, how you doing? You're, you know, I mean, you're flopping all over, falling out of chairs, you know. You know, I've seen you on Facebook, some of you, uh, you know. 
And so, it's, but it's, it's that it drives us quickly. And so that's what, that's what Paul is saying is that with all of Christ in mind and this picture of phobia, man, it's, it's got to move us to submit to one another. And then he continues on. He says, for husbands, in verse 25, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for her. Like, like you just put the mic down and walk away because, like, <laughs> that's big. I mean, you think about Christ on the cross, the beatings, the whippings, the cat of nine tails, the, 40, you know, the 30 lash, 39 lashes, 40 lashes that he took. Like, that's intense. Like, there's no way on the cross, I mean, there's no really way to put in English words and to really justify what, what Christ did for us. But just as Christ did that, we've got to have that same intensity as men to love our wives. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Praise God, we do love our own bodies. I do like to eat barbecue. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, praise God. And so we've got to, through submission, is a way that we can display spiritual authority in our homes as men, praise God. Um, some of you, most of you probably know this, but for about 10 years I was, I was a youth pastor and I would, you know, worked with young, young people. And when you're a youth pastor, you, I mean, it just behooves you to understand what's going on, going on out in culture and some of the pitfalls that people can get themselves into. And, and one of the things, you know, is, is this sex trafficking thing. And so uh, being a youth leader, um, I spent some time listening to stories um, on YouTube from people that had survived these ordeals. And one of the things that I constantly kept hearing in these stories was that it was allowed to happen to these boys and girls predominantly because no one was paying attention. Nobody was watching. Nobody, nobody seemingly cared um, about the plot or the ploy of that little boy or that little girl. And this is a very real thing, and it's probably happening in, in our great city of liberty, um, and it's definitely something to be watching for. But this is, but from the very beginning, this was God's design for the man. In Genesis 2, 15 and through 17, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, and he placed him here for two purposes. To tend it, which sounds a whole lot like Ephesians 5, that we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. God put Adam in the garden to tend to the garden, to take care of the garden, to love the garden. But the second reason was he put him there to watch over the garden. And so in other words, we have to pay attention. And men, we can display spiritual authority in our homes when we're paying attention to the spiritual climate, the spiritual atmosphere, uh, the movies that our children are watching, um, the things that we're allowing to be listened to, the stories that we're allowed to be told, is that when men, if we pay attention, the th that's how we can display spiritual authority in our homes and protect our homes, protect our wives, protect our children, to protect our church, as if we would just pay attention. And that's a little bit easier said than done, and more things are said than done, because we get so involved with work, with life, with our own pleasures, our own pursuits, with different things. 
But men, we've got to pay attention. We've got to focus. It's, there's too much at stake for us not to be paying attention. Praise God. And this is why it's so important that we pay attention. It says, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of the tree in the, in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And then the next chapter, in chapter 3, in verse 6, it says, And the woman was convinced after her conversation with the snake or the serpent. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who the Bible clearly says, who was with her, and he ate too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so... I don't know what Adam was doing. <laughs> I don't know what Adam was paying attention to. But the story possibly could have ended differently if Adam was paying attention. If Adam had been listening and doing what God had told him to do, watching over the garden, tending to the garden, paying attention to what was going on in the garden, uh, Eve probably would not even have been able to get to the tree to even get its fruit. I mean, there would have been a wall or a ditch you know, or one of the moats with alligators swimming around in it. I mean, something like, come, you know, hey, Adam, let's pay attention here. Praise God. And so the same, it can happen to us, though. So as men, we've got to pay attention in our homes. We've got to pay attention to what's going on. We can't leave it just to our wives. Okay, the wives are tired. <laughs> when I get home from work, you know, after dealing with three kids all day, she's tired. <laughs> and she lets me know about it sometimes. And lets me know about it throughout the day sometimes, so I know what I'm getting myself into when I get home. And so we just can't leave it to our wives. And Lord, have mercy, we can't leave it to the children, <laughs> because they're not going to do it. They're not. They, they're they're paying attention, but they're doing other paying attention to other things that they shouldn't be. Praise God. And so we got to be men. God's calling us to be men. And so as it relates to the church in Paul in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Some verses, he says, in verse 3, he says, but there is one thing that I want you to know, that the head of every man is Christ. So Paul says, hey, men, Christ is your head. He's your spiritual authority. He is who you're looking to is for your example. The head of the man is Christ. The head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And then in verse 4, he says, a man dishonors his head, which is Christ, if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. And then he continues on, and he speaks to the, you know, he's speaking to both men and women in, the, in this passage. But the foster already took care of the women's side of things. So I'm not even going to go there. So if you have questions, you can ask Pastor or Sister Jackie or Brother Foster. Don't ask me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can ask me. In verse 7, it says, A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in the image of God and reflects God, reflects God's image. And then in verse 14, he says, isn't it obvious that it is disgraceful for a man to have long hair? So this is a question that Paul's asking. So Paul, obviously, is, this is probably a rhetorical question. He's saying that, hey, it's pretty obvious here because I'm asking it to you um, that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair. And so Paul is instructing his readers here that there is a way to pray and there is a way to prophesy that actually dishonors God. So how many want to do that? Okay. I mean, you guys are following along here. This is good. Okay, we don't want to do that. Paul makes it clear that we don't want to pray and we don't want to prophesy in a way that, that doesn't honor God. 
We want to honor our, our spiritual authority. We want to honor Christ. And so I'm not going to butcher the Greek phrase, uh, but really this Greek phrase here where we get this with his head covered or really having, having down from the head is really the kind of the picture image here that Paul is giving the men here. He's saying that we don't want to have anything from the head down or covering us when we're praying or prophesying. And so you're like, well, what in the world does that even all mean? And so no doubt Paul was here. He was addressing something both spiritually and physically in this letter to the Corinthian church. And when you really look at the culture of the Corinthian, of where the Corinthian church was was at, um, I mean, this was a port city, you know, in the kind of that modern world. And so you have all kinds of different people coming and going, all different groups of people, types of people, all different types of religious people. And so, you know, Paul is really, you know, I mean, you know, Paul picked a really interesting place to, you know, to build the church. Um, but the gates of hell are not going to prevail, and Paul wasn't afraid. And so Paul's helping these men understand that, hey, this is addressing your hair, and it could, and, and given the situation and the, the context of who, who, who Paul is writing to, uh, it, it could have been addressing that, that maybe men were starting to wear feminine head covers. Or in some practices of some pagan religions in Rome, that the men would actually take their robes and put them over their heads when they would pray to their, you know, to their gods. And so Paul's saying, no, we're not going to do any of that. We want you to look like men. We want you to be men. And no matter what culture's doing or what the popular thing in culture is or what other religions are doing um, or what the precedence is, um, Paul's saying, hey, you need to look like a man and to be a man, to dress like a man, and to talk like a man. And and if, again, and we're not just going to look at this one passage. We're going to take the whole Bible with all of the context of the Bible. And so here's some other things that Paul wrote. He says in 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. So Paul is saying, hey, that when men come to pray, and men better be praying, and when they do it in public, that there's some stuff on the outside that we're going to have hands that are lifted, and we're going to do it from the internal without anger and without controversy or without, in some translations, wrath. And so God's saying that, hey, there's not just an, an external thing here that when you come before me and when you come in the presence of others to worship, but there's some internal things that you have to have cleaned up in your life if you're going to honor me through prayer and prophesying in a public setting. Praise God. And then Paul, obviously being a Jew, would have known Deuteronomy 22.5. He says, a man must not wear woman's clothing, and anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. And so Paul obviously would have known the Old Testament scriptures here, and Paul would have been speaking to the Corinthian men, saying that, hey, don't put things on that can be mistaken for a woman's apparel, or something that a woman would wear. And... You know, and sometimes we can get ourselves pretty sheltered in our little, our little groups and our families and our church. But this, this is a really a popular thing. And I mean, I remember guys even in high school, you know, even when I was in ninth grade, you know, would come to school wearing a dress. And and I knew and I knew the guy, and I knew he was probably just really doing it just because he was wanting attention. Um, but you know, it's a real thing <laughs> uh, that men, you know, walk around in women's clothing. Um, but Paul's saying. Men of God don't do those things, and we don't even think about it. 
And then Paul to the Roman church in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies. Everyone say bodies. Okay, and that's not, he didn't say just, you know, the part of the body that nobody can see, the, just the internal stuff. Paul's saying the whole body, all of it, the dress it up, the wear, what we wear on the inside, how we conduct ourselves on the outside, our bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world or this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so Paul is signifying that men, when we are present for worship, should be men. We should look like men. We should talk like men. We should have hearts and minds that are free from worldly ways and ideas so that we can honor God. Praise God. And, and in your prayer time, us men, we do need prayer. Because we sometimes have a hard time paying attention. <laughs> okay? And so pray for us that we'll pay attention. Because there's a lot at stake here. And as you stand with me this morning, I'm, I'm done. And as the musicians are about come and to take us back into a time of worship, but I think it would just be fitting. I know we pray a lot for the ladies, and I know we pray for a lot for the men, but man, we need prayer in the 2020 as men to pay attention. You may be a single father trying to raise your kids, going to work, taking care of kids. Life can be busy. Life can be rough, okay? You may have lots of kids or no kids, but as a man, we need you to pay attention. Refuge Church needs you to pay attention. The City of Liberty needs you to pay attention because there's an adversary out there. There's an enemy out there. There's spiritual warfare that's happening that unless we're paying attention, unless we're getting involved, we're losing ground. And we don't have time to lose any ground. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, for the men and the women, Lord, that make up your body, God. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be aware. Help us to be awake, God. Uh, help us to be making ourselves ready for your return. Uh, help us to be looking, God, in the field, Lord, uh, for that lone Egyptian out there, God, uh, that's struggling, Lord. Our families, Lord, help us to be aware. Uh, help us to be putting up safeguards as men, Lord, for our families, Jesus. Uh, God, that we guard what's coming in our homes, Lord. Uh, that we guard what we're watching, God, what we're reading online, uh, what we're looking at, Jesus, what we're listening to on the radio, God. Uh, help us to be men today, Jesus. Uh, help us to be aware, Lord. Help us to be paying attention, Jesus. Lord, to the needs around us, to the people around us, God. Uh, thank you, Jesus.